0: This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Welcome to Knowledge at Wharton. I'm Angie Bassiuni. Do you prefer dogs or cats, vanilla or chocolate, winter or summer? The answers to these very simple questions reveal a little something about who we are and what we like. We want to answer them because they're fun and because it broadcasts a bit of information about our personality, our values, and our desires. But there is a serious side to these silly questions as well, and Wharton Marketing Professor Jonah Berger is here today to tell us about that. His latest paper is titled, Penny for Your Preferences, Leveraging Self-Expression to Encourage Small, Pro-Social Gifts. It looks at how businesses can use this intrinsic desire for self-expression to get consumers to give more money, whether it's tipping the barista or donating to a charitable cause. He and his co-authors on the study call it the dueling preferences approach, and he's going to explain that to us in just a moment. Dr. Berger, thank you for being with me today.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: So for the record, for me, it's cats, chocolate, and winter. (laughs) But I don't understand how answering these questions would make me want to give you more money. How does that work?
1: Yeah. So there's a a fundamental question that I think many uh, organizations or or people have thought about, which is, you know, how do we increase pro-social behavior? If I'm the Red Cross, how do I get more donations? Uh, if I'm a barista at a coffee shop or a waiter at a restaurant, how do I get people to tip me? Um, you know, if I'm trying to raise money for a museum, uh, how, how do I go about doing that? Uh, and it's obviously very hard. Lots of people mean to donate; they want to donate, but there are lots of causes, um, lots of stuff going on, and, and at the end, it often doesn't happen. And so, we wondered: Well, can we understand pro-social behavior uh, a little bit better and make it easier for people? to raise money for these great causes uh, by thinking a little bit about self-expression, right? As you mentioned, we all love self-expression. We love to express ourselves. We do it all the time through our cars and clothes and, and music. And whether we wondered whether we could leverage this tendency and this desire for self-expression uh, uh, to encourage pro-social behavior. And, and as you mentioned, uh, part of this idea actually started from something we saw in coffee shops, right? Where when you go into a coffee shop, uh, Some of you have seen this, maybe not, maybe you've seen it on the internet, um, where, you know, you might walk into a coffee shop, um, and rather than having a tip jar there uh, for you to drop in your uh, buck or two or whatever it might be, instead, there are actually two things, two little jars with pictures on them, and the pictures might say, one says dog and one says cat. Um, the pictures might say vanilla ice cream or chocolate ice cream. It might say Star Wars or Star Trek. Uh, it might say, um, you know, uh, I don't know, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Barack Obama. It might say a variety of different uh, uh, things. And coffee shops are using that for a reason, right? They think it's engaging their customers in, in some way and hopefully increasing tips. Um, But we wondered, well, first of all, does it work, right? Does it increase uh, tips to a coffee shop? There are many things that businesses try that don't work. So does this actually work? Um, Then when and why does it work, right? Does it work all the time? Does it work sometimes? Why does it work? and then can we apply this more broadly right um obviously uh, knowing that uh, people do, uh, you know, drop in a couple extra cents for cats versus dogs rather than just a tip jar is, is nice for a coffee shop but if if i'm the you know the the leader of a big nonprofit or i'm trying to raise a bunch of money for a foundation um, could something like this be useful for me? Is it you know, just something for coffee shops and just something for cats and dogs? Or can it tell us something broader about human behavior uh, and ways that organizations can leverage these insights to uh, increase pro-social behavior?
0: You're getting a little bit at what makes some charitable giving more successful than others. So tell me how you went about studying this. I mean, it seems like it's so subjective. How did you make this analytical and objective?
1: Yeah. So I'll, I'll give you a couple examples. Um, uh, and so so one we did uh, very much in the exact setting we talked about, right? We started in the setting we talked about. We started about doing an experiment at a local coffee shop where we went in um, and for different periods of time, we had different tipping situations. So sometimes people would go into that coffee shop and once they were done buying their coffee, there would be a single jar um, as usual that would say tips, um, other times we randomly manipulated uh, whether some of the time it had just a jar and some of the time it had this idea of a dueling preferences, right? These two things that they could vote with their opinions. They could choose cat or dog uh, cats or dogs uh, through their tipping. And importantly, we didn't just use different coffee shops. Uh, We manipulated the time of day uh, across multiple days, counterbalancing for everything, almost like an A-B test, um, if uh, folks are familiar with that idea, to get a sense of, well, if sometimes it's cats and dogs and sometimes it's just a tip jar, does that affect uh, donations? Um, and you could say, well, hold on, you're you're asking people to make a choice. Uh, cats and dogs has nothing to do um, uh, with uh, tipping. Maybe it's going to decrease uh, donations. Maybe people are going to feel overwhelmed. They're not going to make a choice. Um, uh, but that's not what happened, right? Giving people a choice mattered. Uh, how much people tipped and subtle thing, just making two, two jars and putting a cat and a dog on the word cat and dog on it uh, led people to tip more than twice as much compared to uh, a tip jar. And it wasn't just restricted to tipping, right? That's great for that coffee shop. And those of you who are listening who run a coffee shop, I highly recommend doing this, Um, but there are probably a bunch of folks listening who don't uh, manage a coffee shop and would like to understand whether they can use these ideas. Um, And they can, right? We did a very similar experiment with donations to the Red Cross, American Red Cross. Um, And we're not asking um, uh, there for tips. We're asking for donations. Will you donate to this important cause? Um, And rather than simply asking for donations, and that's what we did for some people, the regular pitch um, American Red Cross might give, some people were asked to donate by voting, essentially. Would you rather have or would you prefer chocolate ice cream or vanilla ice cream? And again, chocolate and vanilla ice cream have nothing to do with the American Red Cross. So you could say, well, hold on. Won't people think this is frivolous or doesn't matter? It's not going to help. But that's not what occurred. In fact, just the opposite. It increased donations by 28%. And so I think what these results show, and I'm happy to give more examples, but in a variety of different contexts, we can use dueling preferences, essentially giving people a choice, a self-expressive choice, as a way to motivate action and, in this case, motivate giving.
0: So I know you ran a number of experiments. You mentioned the coffee shop, the Red Cross. Were you surprised by any of these results, or did it line up with what we already know in the literature about identity and consumer behavior?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, I was surprised by the size of these results. Um, uh, you know, this isn't like a couple pennies here and there. 28% increase to the American Red Cross is a, a big deal, right? Yeah. That's a lot of money for, for that organization. Um, and so I was certainly surprised by the size uh, of the effect. Um, but it was also interesting to see when this happens and, and why it happens, right? So what I'm not just suggesting is give anybody a choice, uh, that any choice will work. Right. Um. Uh, you know, if I'm the barista at the coffee shop or I'm the American Red Cross, giving people any choice between any two things is is going to work. It really has to be a way for people to express their preferences. Right. It has to be something that they care about um, and they feel in some sense that expressing their preference on that dimension is diagnostic of who they are. Right. So uh, sports rivalries are the same way. Right. Maybe it's the Yankees and the Red Sox. That's something people feel very strongly about. They want to share their opinion. Um, uh, we did a study at you know, Duke versus UNC, something that folks uh, in North Carolina certainly feel uh, very strongly uh, about. And so it's not just pick any choice and give people any choice. It's about understanding the context we're in, pick a choice that the audience cares about and feels self-expressive. And I, I want to be clear, cares about chocolate and vanilla ice cream is not the most important domain in the world, but it's something people feel like says something about them. Uh, uh, same with dogs and cats. they Cat people, there dog people feel like it says something about them. And so we can use that to motivate behavior, even in an unrelated domain. And there's lots of research that clearly shows like, look, if, if you see you're the type of person that buys a drives a BMW, that's a desirable identity for you, you're gonna pay more for a BMW than someone who doesn't hold that. It's clear we care about identity. It's clear that identity motivates behavior. I think what's so interesting here and surprising here is he can, we, we can even use an irrelevant choice. One that doesn't necessarily have to do with the domain, chocolate versus vanilla ice cream and the, and the American Red Cross are not clearly connected, but we can use that to motivate behavior even in these unrelated domains.
0: I think that is surprising and it really does speak to how much we love to talk about ourselves. Um, so given that information, what can marketers or managers or even charity directors do to help increase uh, giving, especially right now, the pandemic is on, the needs are, are so high for these organizations. What can they do?
1: But I think the place to start um, is to stop just thinking about you. Your cause is important. It is very, very important. But think about your audience. What what this research shows is, yes, if I'm the American Red Cross, uh, yes, if I'm whatever organization it, it might be, I can go out there and I can say, hey, this is an important problem. Please donate money to this problem. And I will get people to donate. I will get a set of people who have donated in the past who already think this problem is important. To donate to my cause but if i want to move beyond and those aren't small circles of people but if i want to move beyond those circles of people um, i have to think about a set of people who you know maybe the american red cross is an important cause but there are other important causes there's the environment and there's cancer and there's a variety of different things people could give their money to and so thinking beyond just my cause and people that inherently believe in that cause to begin with And thinking about, well, what do those folks care about, right? Even people that may care about the cause to begin with, what's a way to motivate them uh, to give? This isn't just about making it a game, though it does feel a little bit like a game. It's really about allowing them to express themselves and potentially even allow them to express themselves to others, right? Um, You know, we've all seen uh, maybe your local grocery store does this where they say, hey, collect receipts, give it to your local school. Um, And the school that gets the most receipts gets, you know, a big donation from, from the grocery store. That's not just allowing people to express themselves, this is the school I care about, uh, but compete, allow those uh, expressions to be public signals uh, of, of the self. And So, you know, if I was a marketer, if I was a manager, I was a charity director, um, I would think about leveraging this uh, opportunity. I would think about the right uh, opportunity to give people the right choice. What are the right two things to give them? Uh, to help them express themselves. But by understanding my audience, how can I give them this opportunity to express their identity and use that to motivate them to, to give?
0: That's excellent information. Now, I know this approach in your study was novel. How are you going to explore it further? What would be next for this line of research?
1: Yeah, uh, you know, one thing I've thought a bit uh, about lately um, is the value of asking questions uh, rather than making statements. I talk about this a, a bit in my uh, most recent book, *The Catalyst*. Uh, we're doing some, we did some research on it here. We're doing some research on it uh, more generally. But questions are, are really powerful uh, in a, in a number of ways. You know, I, I think often when we want to persuade people, we think that telling them uh, to do what we want, making a statement, uh, if you will, uh, is the best way to get them to to take action. Um, but problematically, people often push back uh, on statements. Um, And so questions do a a number of interesting things, right? Um, First, uh, they allow us to collect information. if you ask uh, questions, you can better understand the people you're communicating with, the people you're trying to persuade. Uh, But then second, it allows, it gives people some freedom and autonomy back, right? Just like we talked about today, it allows them to express themselves. It allows them to participate um, uh, and not just participate in giving me money, which is what I maybe wanted you to do in the first place, but participate in expressing yourself along that process. Sa- same thing, more generally, right? Um, you know, uh, if you're a boss uh, and you're trying to get people to stay late after work, and you you know you tell them what you need, they may push back. Instead, if you say, "Well, hey, what you know, what kind of company do we want to be—a good one or a great one?" And they answer a great one, and then you say, "Well, what can we do to get there?" And they think about it and they give you some answers, and you adopt those answers. Now they're more bought into the process, and and so I think. Questions can be a great way, whether it's getting clients and customers or, you know, colleagues and bosses and employees uh, on board uh, to feel like they have a role in a process, uh, which makes them much more likely to be engaged uh, and to help it reach a desired outcome.
0: It's a maxim of show, don't tell. So it's very effective. Thank you very much for joining me today on this podcast. Your research is always so intriguing because you dig deeply into human behavior and dig and at what motivates us to behave the way that we do. Once again, his paper uh, is titled Penny for Your Preferences, Leveraging Self-Expression to Encourage Small Pro-Social Gifts. You can read it in the Journal of Marketing. You can also pick up Dr. Berger's latest book at your favorite bookseller. It's called The Catalyst, How to Change Anyone's Mind. I've taken a peek into that. There's a lot of good stuff in there. And if you like this podcast, you can find more just like it on our website, where you can also find all our articles on the latest research in business. I'm Angie Bassuni. Thanks for listening. For more insight from knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.